It's episode 45 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me today is J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp. And we had a fun weekend, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. J.P., did you, uh, Ryan moved this weekend, so I got to help him with that. A little quick That's a big quo. day for you guys. It was. It was very exciting. And luckily, it was right before all the humidity moved in. Otherwise, that would have been got off. Yeah, it was really not too bad yesterday morning on Saturday morning, but by evening it was wretchedly disgustingly humid and hot though i have to point out the best thing that happened yesterday we were driving back to his condo and when we were driving back all of a sudden ryan's like oh my god there's a turtle in the road so, <laughs> <laughs> so he he swerves to miss it and then he pulls over and he like turns around to go get this turtle that was in the road and it was like one of the the roads that goes into the condo so it wasn't like on highway 100 or whatever we had been driving and the best part is, so Ryan gets out, he backs up all the traffic, all these cars coming through. Oh, yeah. There was lots of traffic. <laughs> well, there, there were actually two cars. There, yeah. there were a couple cars that had to wait for him. And then all of a sudden, you had this, this image of Ryan literally chasing a turtle that he could not catch. It was, it was really moving fast. I couldn't, I couldn't tell if the turtle was fast or Ryan was that slow. I mean, the turtle was moving. It, was, it, was not, it, didn't, it didn't want to be caught. No, it didn't want to be caught, and it didn't know what I was up to. No. A wild animal. It, it, it yeah. was. And it, but I got it off of the road and on its way to the stream nearby, and I think that that was my good deed. So in the future, if we ever have a foot race between the three guys on uh, the Milwaukee Tailgate Baseball Podcast, do not bet on Ryan because he cannot catch a turtle. Yes. But this, this is Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, sponsored by... Peta. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, hey, uh, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast and you guys just talked about the uh draft that recently took place yeah we did and we so, also talked about some minor league stuff and but. some minor league stuff as well but uh big draft focus on that and actually we are going to have a portion of the interview jp did with nick flaris from 2080 baseball um, yes sir we're gonna put that at the end of the podcast so We'll close this out, but stick around, and uh, you'll get probably, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of that discussion. And it was, I don't know, you guys did about an hour and 15 minutes total? For the full podcast, the it was full about podcast. an hour and a half. It was hour our and longest half. one, yeah. The interview with, uh, with Nick was just under 40 minutes, I think. Yeah, so we're going to take a portion of that, which is, I think, most specifically related to um, the Brewers draft. Yeah, covering yeah. the... Well, and it's it's worth. I mean, for people who are already Patreon subscribers, they'll you know have a chance to listen to it already. But for those who are not, stick around for the for the at least the the portion of it because Nick actually has seen a, a large portion of the Brewers draft in person, and not only that speaks to people in the organization, people outside the organization. So, uh, for folks that are actually wanting to learn about you know Bryce Terang, Joe Gray, and then some people further down uh, in the draft, it's going to be a one-stop shop for uh, being able to, to, to learn about a lot of the new guys that are going to be joining the system. Yeah, so good stuff. I was listening to it earlier. So I recommend, uh, if you do want more of that information, subscribe um, on Patreon. Otherwise, yeah, stick around and you'll get probably like a 10-minute clip or so at the end of the podcast. So, hey, what do we think? Can I get through this next read? Good luck. We're going to try. We're going to try. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. From Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA, K4 specializes in English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. On June 22nd, Carbon 4 is re-releasing Belly Bongos. The fermentation in an up-tempo jazz lyric, a bad... Uh, <laughs> see? You, we, you a ballad. Already. I, I was going to whip. We knew I was going to whiff on this one. A ballad for a good times reminisced and fond memories waiting to exist hull melon what is that hallertal blanc hops yep hallertal blanc uh we have a zesty bouquet of strawberry honeydew melon white grape lemongrass and passion fruit personalities that rejoice 
like children at recess when set against the bright backdrop for a sophisticatedly simple grain bill. Everybody get that? I got it. Okay. So honeydew, strawberry, white grape, lemongrass. That's kind of what it's going to taste like. But it tastes like beer. And passion fruit. And passion fruit. But it still tastes like beer. Uh, now this is the time to enjoy some distilled sunshine and beat the rhythm of life on your bread basket. So that's kind of what Ryan can get into, right? Yes. You're going to lift up. I have, I have a bread basket. You're going to lift up that shirt and play the belly bongo, right? Yes, exactly. So uh, anyways, belly bongo. It's on tap starting Thursday the 22nd in the Carbon 4 Tap Room, and it's available in bottles the following week. So uh, you can look for that in a retailer near you. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. So what do you think? I'm going to have to rewrite that one next week. Man, I, I just, I was thinking, it was one of those things, you know, like when Rock is doing the broadcast with Matt LePay and Matt LePay gets a read and just absolutely nails it and Rock like goes on for two minutes about how fantastic Matt LePay is at doing <laughs> read. Yep. That's how I feel right now about you, Steve. Oh, really yeah, great. Thanks. I mean, radio guys have to be really good at doing those reads and that's, you know, LePay's primary training has I, been doing radio. Do not mention me in the same breath as Matt LePay. I'm just I saying. I wasn't. No, I, mean, I know. I'm just saying, like, the fact that JP brought that up. Like, Matt LePay no, does I'm something. Say, I'm saying, I'm not saying that you are comparable to Matt LePay. I'm mm-hmm. saying that my impression, that my, like, thought of you and how I reacted to that was much like Rock does to Matt LePay, <laughs> which is a little bit overdone, probably not very entertaining. Yes. So. Um, anyways, that it's going to be a good summer beer, so go out and get that. But uh, anyways, Milwaukee Steelgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide, and it's found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows, probably on the set of Game of Thrones being filmed as we speak. I think it was already wrapped, isn't it? I don't know. they got another season coming out. So... They use it for that, though. So uh, if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, though, you can check out, check out the MixPre 3 and MixPre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, so the past week was kind of interesting. Uh, started out a little shaky. The Brewers dropping one to the Cubs, but then they took the next two. Yep. They proved that they could beat the Cubs. Oh, yes. It was a, a definite question that needed to be answered. You know what? There, there were questions online about it. That's oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everybody's kind of worried. And after that Monday game, I think people were, again, like really on edge about this because it was the first time in a while that we'd seen the bullpen kind of fall apart. Josh Hader gave up a run, um, and then they got hammered in extra innings. Yeah, I mean, they were pretty good until that 11th inning. Jeffers was still good. I'm not saying the entire bullpen each individually had poor outings. And I don't think Hader gave up that run. I actually think it was Jeffers. It wasn't. Mm, Hader gave up a run. Oh, Hader gave up a run because uh, VR dropped the tag that was going into second. Oh, yeah. right, right, right. Okay, yep. I was at that game. I, Way to pay attention. Details. Yeah. Um, but they went out there and... Uh, Threw up a couple zeros against the Cubs on the following two days. Yes, that was really nice to see. To see them be able to win those low-scoring, you know, without actually scoring runs. And then to see them come back against Philadelphia on Friday and absolutely just pummel them into the ground. And pummel Jake Arrieta for the second time. That really, really nice. I want to say the first time they in Arietta's game they scored a lot of runs, but they didn't necessarily hit Arietta hard. The first time through? I don't know. I could be misremembering that. But yeah, this time they really got to Arietta. Yes. So yeah, uh, yeah apparently if the Brewers want to get their offense on track, uh, playing the Phillies is good. Yeah. Do. Until Saturday when you know, they mustered a run and people got really edgy again about it. Uh, did you guys see that for Sunday's game? Hernan Perez will be playing shortstop. JP, they gotta how do, do something. I was gotta saying, do how do you something. feel about that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the idea being hopefully he gets a couple of at-bats, does something positive with the bat, and they get a lead, and then can turn it over to RCA late. Like, yeah, I mean, I would assume that's the goal. That would be the hope. Yeah. Um, I mean, they don't have a lot of options. And, you know, JP, you've, we, you've mentioned in some of the chats we've had online um, while games are going on that RC is just completely lost up there still. I mean, he wasn't down very long, so he clearly didn't, you know, get time to work on anything in AAA. 
and uh, he's still just struggling. Well, Adam McAlvey had a tweet this morning on Sunday morning saying that it has been almost a month now since Arcia had an extra base hit. Yeah, and yeah. Granted, there was the the minor league stint in there, and he's been in and out of the lineup a little bit. So, you know, it's not a huge. I think it was like fifty four plate appearances or something. But not having an extra base hit and fifty four plate appearances is, and he, it's not like he doesn't have power. There is power there. We've seen it. So, yeah, this isn't the hitter we expected. No, when he was coming up, he's in a system. funk. Like he's clearly in a funk right now. I think the most interesting thing about. Arcia right now is that actually the only thing he can do is hit at the opposite field. Um, and every single time he actually gets a hit to the opposite field, uh, it, it's, it can be a solid single. It could be a blooper. It could be, you know, a line shot down the line. Um, and it seems that, you know, at least rock and BA really make a note saying how good of a sign that is for Arcia that he's able to hit the ball the other way, but that he's always been able to do that because he's late. Um, and when he makes good contact and he's late and he's able to do that, um, it's, it's pitch recognition. It's, uh, how much movement he's going, he has going on in his swing. It's, it's has to do with, you know, how quickly he's able to start his swing once he recognizes the pitch. And so all of those things have been a problem. And therefore when he does make solid contact, it actually goes to the opposite field almost every time. Um, what would make me feel a lot better about Orlando Arcia and, and kind of snapping out of it is if he's actually able to hit the ball up the middle and the left field. Uh, and I don't, I don't know the last time that he's really done that outside of just, you know, like more weak ground balls or, or infield hits. But yeah, it's been, it's been a really big struggle for him. Um, you can see what he's trying to do. He is, he is trying to change some things. Um, but as of right now, this is the point in which you would like to see him go down to AAA and just have an opportunity to really focus on this. Um, and not have to do it at the big league level. And that's just going to be whether or not Brad Miller is able to get uh, quality reps at shortstop and get up to the big leagues and how quickly that can happen. Yeah. And that was the news that happened, I think, right after we finished recording uh, last weekend. I think it was Sunday night. The Brewers traded G Man Choi to the Rays for Brad Miller. So um, infielder Brad Miller, what he hit uh, 30 home runs a couple seasons ago, but he's also been kind of an offensive black hole at times as well. Yeah. But he has positional flexibility yeah and but nothing particularly great defensively is my understanding like he could play a bunch of positions you know passably ish well but especially second base and third base Mm -hmm. and he's gotten some time at uh at first as well i know so not that the brewers have a need there but he is he has been listed there in my fantasy league (laughs) <laughs> Great. That's what we always look for to see what guys play is. What are they listed for in uh, fantasy baseball? Um, but I guess are are we just kind of biding our time waiting for Miller to get the call at this point, JP? I assume so. I mean, just to, to follow up on, on the Arcia thing, um, only 26% of his balls put in play in, in June have been to the pull side. Wow. Like, that's that's really low. Now, um, is, that, and- is that pull or is that to the literally the left side of of first base or a second base i'm sorry it's it's to the pull side so uh just it wouldn't be basically cutting the diamond in half it'd be a little bit to the left of that okay um but as as opposed to last year actually in 20 in 2017 in june he was he had about 52 percent of the balls put in play to the pull side so there's a lot of different things happening um but in terms of Brad Miller, I guess I would say um, two things. Yes, I do think it's just a matter of time uh, until he has an opportunity to, to come up. I do wonder if it's going to happen uh, basically after the homestand's done. Um, but Brad Miller, what he does offer is actually, and even this year when he struggled a little bit, his run, his weighted runs created has actually been better than league average against right-handed pitching this year. Um, and yes, he's not actually that, you know, he, he's not great defensively. He can play a lot of positions. He's not dreadful at too many places, but he's not going to be offering any value with his glove other than, you know, the same way that somewhat Aaron Perez is able to do in the in in the infield. But what he does do is actually offer a little bit of pop. He can take some walks and he can handle right handed pitching. Um, it's going to be handling right handed pitching with a low batting average, which is what some people don't necessarily like to see. But if he hits 250, 
you know, I, I don't have the numbers up exactly in front of me, but I was looking at it a little bit earlier and it was something like he was hitting 260 or something like that with like a 330 on base percentage with some power. So that that's palatable, especially what we've been seeing. If at shortstop, he's able to do okay. Uh, I'm not expecting it to be, you know, above average by any stretch. Yeah, the bar is really low to show some improvement offensively for that position. So hopefully Miller Miller can provide something. Yeah, I was going to say it also is a pretty big indictment of of, uh, Sogard, too, that Sogard can't get time at at shortstop right now, too. Well, I think they just feel like he's just the other guy that they have, and they feel obligated to give him time. It's Well, the, the weird thing is, should they give VR a chance to play shortstop, or have they got to the point where it's like don't mess with them since he started to get comfortable at second and that's been such an issue that's so my take on that i wouldn't move him and give him time at shortstop really i mean it even sounds like from the team that's what they're saying yeah i mean do you think they're doing it more from a perspective of they don't want to mess with the good thing though not just because he he was a f- all right shortstop but he hasn't played it in a couple of years now yeah i think it's they they don't want to mess up you know, his instincts and his work at second base. I think they want to continue just say, don't worry about anything else. Do this, figure out your defensive, you know, alignment, figure out, you know, your, your throwing lanes, figure out your, your rhythm there and don't mess with it by having you have to do other things and relearn a different position Um, and just stick with what you're doing because it it has a chance to work. Yep. (laughs) You agree? (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and at least it is good to see VR has really gotten back on track. I mean, I think I checked it the other week. The power is really coming back now. That's and what's I want to say since like, the you know, since May, he's slashing like 280, 340, 350, something like that. And, and I think he's slugging like 450. So, I mean, if he does something like that for, you know, the rest of the season that for how difficult it's been to get production at shortstop that's actually really good production to get from your second baseman for the rest of the season yeah no there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and he is not a defensive liability at second base like that's he he actually makes some decent plays especially when you have to see him range that's when it you know the speed the foot speed really Mm -hmm. plays well for him defensively that way because he you know makes some nice running catches out into uh even into fall territory over on the first base side but He'll, he'll make some nice running catches out into the outfield, too. So, Yeah. And I'm trying to bring that up because it seems like a lot of people were focused on the, the negative this week, even though like they actually had a pretty decent week on the field. Yeah, there was nothing wrong with what they did. You know, you take two or three from the Cubs. They're so far have split, so with, far the has split with the Phillies. Um, well, again, say it was also the, one of the first times this year we've actually seen the starting pitch and consistently throw the ball well. Yeah. Right, really going deep into games, too. You got in that Cubs series, you had two six-inning starts and a seven-inning start. And that Chase Anderson, when he went back out, uh, I was really surprised to see him back out there for that seventh inning because he was right around 100 pitches. And, you know, Council's been pretty pretty quick with the hook. Well, he yeah, because people there were complaining the other day when uh, they pulled Guerra, Guerra after, like, 82 pitches. Right. And was he through, like, six innings? Or no, he was at, like, five and a third. Yeah, when he got hooked. And he, he got he got well, taken. Even up. Brent Suter on Friday, I think, went seven, didn't he? Was it that many? Or did he only or did he only go six? I can't remember how many he went, but he I think he went I think they pushed him through the seventh because they were winning by so much. Yeah, I'd have to go back and check that. I don't have it up in front of me. But yeah, the Garrow one was interesting because he was pitching well, but they gave him the hook early. Uh, JP, do you think they're just worried of Garrett getting exposed in a game the number of times he goes through the lineup like is that the main concern they see as far as helping him to avoid a blow-up start well I think uh and so yeah uh, first of all Suter did go seven innings uh on Friday but um Guerra I think it's it's partially that Garrett when Guerra loses it he loses it quickly right I mean because it's it's such a fundamental issue with his command um, and it seems to me that I don't necessarily know how true this is um, off the top of my head, but my gut feeling is that he's been one of the guys they have consistently pulled as quickly as possible once any kind of like third time through the order it's, comes up. It's very rare that he gets through six innings. And yeah. he's pitched well. Yeah, he, he's pitched well, and I think if you look, he's – basically almost never going six right they're protecting him from seeing the 
order the third time. That's a big part of, I think, why his success is. His numbers stand out that way because he really isn't seeing the guys the third time through. So Yeah, it's killing my quality starts in uh, fantasy baseball. Because that's what we talk <laughs> that's about. That's what's important. That's yeah. what we talk about, right? Yeah, that is what we talk the about. Quality right? start. It is, it is crazy how, how rare the quality start has gotten since when, when quality starts first were kind of a thing that people would say, oh, look at quality starts instead of wins, because at least it's you know something the pitcher has more control over. And it seemed like most guys would go six innings. Six innings only giving up three runs didn't seem like an enormous bar to clear. No. But now the idea of, of guys just going out there every you know start and getting a quality start, you're pushing more to elite pitchers to kind of see that with regularity. Yes. Yeah. Is or or Jelly's Chasin. Chasin. Yeah. <laughs> or or an old guy that you haven't put a lot of money into, so you can just run him out yeah. there. No, I think uh, I think it's a combination of a lot of different things. I think it's 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 this idea that you don't want to expose your starting pitcher, you know, more times through the order if you don't have to. Um, but I think it's also a function of hitters taking more pitches being a little bit more uh, patient. And you, I mean, we regularly see guys running up their pitch count in the fifth inning. I mean, it, we used to make fun of Giovanni Gallardo for it all the time, right? I mean, it was, oh, Giovanni Gallardo went five, you know, went five innings, gave up a run, but threw 105 pitches in five innings. That's not weird anymore. Uh, and part of it is because, you know, yeah, there, there are guys issuing more walks, but like, you know, I was looking back over what Guerra was doing. I mean, like Guerra was striking out. I think he struck out nine guys in five innings against Cleveland. Like that's just going to run your pitch count up if you have to throw that many pitches to be able to strike out that many guys. Sure, but like we said, you know, there's also the the 82 pitches and Guerra gets pulled. I think Anderson got pulled with a low pitch count. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying some, that I'm there, are, there isn't anecdotal right evidence that suggests that it no, no, like, no, no. Is still yeah. do that. But I'm saying like it it is much more widespread that you see guys having to throw more pitches to go. I mean, for the Brewers, do you think it's as much a matter of trusting the bullpen and some of the bullpen aces they have? It could be. I think it's much more of a realization that they, you know, their starting pitching is um, average. Yeah, and so. They need to. They need. They know that they need to prevent runs where they can. And uh, third time through the order, their bullpen gives them a much better option to uh, prevent runs, unless the starting pitcher is, is throwing particularly well. Uh, they're just going to have a much better option to uh, suppress suppress runs than the starting pitcher is third time through. Yeah, he's actually. I'm looking at it now. Uh, it, kind of a funny run from his last four starts before Saturday's. He Guerra Guerra. Uh, he went six innings each time exactly six and it was you know this is not including that cleveland start but you're looking at him going through the order about three times every time so they were basically yanking him at the end of that though some of these times you're looking at 72 pitches 72 pitches again 90 92 and then they yanked him at 82 against the phillies there are are multiple times in which they've actually tried to push Guerra through more than six innings and it just doesn't work like he get like he walks somebody at the beginning of the sixth, or he gives up a couple of a base runners, and so they pull him. It hasn't just been like six innings pull every. I mean, it has right. been sometimes. But yeah, yeah, okay. That's yeah. why I was I was surprised, and it was much more of a function of, you know, via the game on Friday. But I was surprised they really pushed Suter through seven because he struggled in the sixth. Uh, but they were like, you know, we're up by 10 runs, so we might as well save the bullpen. They, they, had, the, they had the padding for that one. Right. And you had you have, you have a rubber arm out on the mound, so it's not like you're really worrying about a uh, max effort guy doing that. And something. an offensive force. He is an offensive here. force. He, when I see him come up with guys on, I'm like, oh, this could be big. I'm like, <laughs> we could have a big inning here. I like Not since that, Brooks Kieschnick have I been so excited. Really? Gallardo was, like a, was a legitimately in, pretty good hitter. I mean, but it's not fun when you say they're a legitimately good hitter. Oh, okay. But well. you have you have this thing like if if like Aaron Amperez comes up with guys on base, you're like, oh no, no. But then Prince oh, Suter, that, you're no, like, hold on. Yeah, this is the RBI opportunity. Hold on, Perez. If he comes up with the guys on in kind of a situation, you're like, this could be important. That's the only time I think like eh, he might actually come through this time. 
Yeah, because Perez has gotten a few hits where it seems like he'll he'll come through in those moments, but otherwise it's you know a disaster every other time he comes up to the plate. This is all expectation setting. You're just like lowering I'm, expectations. I'm just saying that Brent Suter in the last 30 days has a 10% walk rate and 10% <laughs> strikeout rate. Okay, like his peripherals look pretty damn good, and he's hitting 333. Sorry, he also, on, on, no, his on bases is uh, 333. Is, is he, is he not, the next Otani? Are they going to start? Uh, <laughs> Play him in his, playing him as a dual uh, pitcher, let's hope pitcher DH. He'll ruin his UCL. Well, let's not let, let's not forget also that he is their designated uh, pinch runner off the bench when they run out of position players to pinch run. Those Raptors are fast. He yes, he is the guy that they bring in to do that. He actually he really is pretty fast. Like for a pitcher, he's a professional athlete. Well, but pitchers are usually well. I mean, slow. you you but talk. He, I will he, say that he could chase down. Like, he could chase down a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> I say he—he he is actually really good defensively, though. Like, Brent oh yeah, is. oh yeah, he has fantastic instincts. He f- sometimes isn't in the greatest position to field the ball, but that's a different question. Is he the? Is he had the best pickoff move since uh, Chris Capuano for the Brewers? Ooh, oh God, I haven't paid attention to that since Chris Capuano. Yeah, I mean, he might. I, there have been few lefties of note in the rotation. Well, Randy Wolf, Randy Wolf is a little offended by that. Yeah, there, I said few. Fair. But, yeah, yeah. I don't know. We'll, Narv Dog? We'll put him up there. Yeah, I don't remember if Darvison had a great pickoff move or not. Um, so, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll rank him right after Capuano, I guess, in the uh, – since since the aughts, as far as well, lefties like, to, be pick fair, to be fair, like Capuano's was illegal, like the vast majority of the time. Like well, his, most his lefties movie. have a have a bulky pickoff move. I mean, that's Andy Pettit balked every time he threw to first, like literally every time. Balked, balked. Well, balked. he also used PEDs too, so he's he has a few issues with his uh, career and I guess how people view it. Yeah, right? tried and apologized, so we're good with that. Yeah, he apologized. I'm sorry I got caught. Um, anyways, let's see. What do we want to do next? Oh, uh, so we have a question from Steven Anderson. Will Domingo Santana get sent down? He is starting so little is beginning to seem likely. And with Miguel Sano getting uh, sent down, there is a precedence for demoting a previous season team MVP. Did Santana get the team MVP last season? I thought it was Shaw. I can't remember. JP. He might have been the MVP in our hearts, but I think it was <laughs> Travis Shaw. I, I will say that that really doesn't matter for the question, though. So um, are we looking at Santana is kind of quickly? I mean, Sano got sent all the way down to high A. Like there was. Right. There was like, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on a second. On. Where is their high A team located? Fort Myers. They got. He oh, got so they did send him away. He, he got sent down because Fort Myers is their spring training like oh, headquarters. Right. And they did had extra coaching down there. I was going to say, when they send guys down like that, it's usually for more than just like, oh, we're going to send you down with a bunch of 19-year-olds to hang out and really feel like a jackass. <laughs> There's a little bit more to it than that. So, But are we looking at Domingo Santana kind of getting to that point where he's going to be the odd man out? I, I mean, I, I would say that the biggest thing with Domingo Santana that I'm worried about is not necessarily his playing time, but what he's done when he's actually been on the field. Um, I mean, I, I just had it pulled up earlier as a joke. I thought you were going to say his know, his uh, trade value. <laughs> no. I was Because I pulled up the last 30 day stats just looking at like Jonathan VR, which is why I was able to, to say how good Brent Suter's been. Um, but Domingo Santana has been striking out over 40% of the time in the last 30 days. He's only hitting 241 with a 276 on base percentage. Um, Which and that's, that's, with that's the concerning part. That's to me. what's crazy because he's always shown an ability, even if he swung and missed a lot. Yeah. He showed an ability to at least take walks. A plummeting walk rate for him is concerning. That's. But I mean, this is, but this is exactly what, you know, like, I mean, I guess I, I know that I've been harping on it, so I'm not to say that like i've been annoying about it but like his his ability to make good contact he like he has to be so good when he makes contact because he's shown 
that he has massive holes in his swing. And maybe it is the fact that he's not playing every day. And so he just needs to be able to get in a rhythm. But like this, is, he had one of the lowest contact rates, especially on balls hit in the zone in the entire league last year. He was right on par with guys like Joey Gallo with, with, uh, with Chris Davis, the, the Baltimore one, not the Oakland one. Um, who and, is, who is like the worst player in baseball this year? He's on pace to be the worst yeah. player ever. Yes. Like yeah, it's, it's really great. bad. And he's only got four years on his contract after this at about 25 million per. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Good job. Orioles. Good job. So you know what? Yeah. at least he's got ambition, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay. Single, every single off season, it's always like got to spend money. Otherwise, if you don't spend money, it's been, you don't want to win. Yep. So yeah. Anyways, uh, Santana, yeah, he's just not making contact, and that's not sustainable for him. But like, I, or I, hard contact, I don't I should think. Say. I actually don't think it's that unreasonable to suggest that he could be sent down because you've got guys like, uh, Brett, you've got guys like Brett Phillips, you've got guys like Keon Broxton who you could bring up, and they could fill a similar role. Would do you think Broxton will get a shot if like Santana gets sent down? Because you know Broxton's been the odd man out. They've called Phillips up when they've needed another outfielder, but I'm, it's not like Broxton's had issues down in AAA. I haven't checked lately, but he got off to a well, decent start. Other than the fact he is, he does have the highest strikeout rate of anybody in the PCL. Yeah, but he's not aside, great. But he's Keon Broxton. I mean, that was something that he he's always done. That's right. But if I'm saying if that's the concern, just keep Domingo Santana out. Okay, but I'm saying like if Santana, it finally gets to the point where you say Santana needs to go down and work on something. Yeah, well, I mean, I I would say that if they're going to do anything, or, or do they not worry about an outfielder getting called up if they send Santana down because they're kind of covered at the moment? Right. If he's going down, it would be more probably to like bring up Brad Miller, maybe. So you, you're saying if, they'd have if Santana's going down? I doubt he does. So you're saying they'd have Miller, Arcia, Sogard, Perez. It would be quite the. Uh, yeah, that's a murderer's, murderer's row. Yeah. <laughs> that's a murderer's row right there. Well, but I do think there is a a good point to be made. I Santana needs to get some consistent playing time. I think uh, this what he's doing right now in and out of the lineup on a daily day to day basis is not good. And I, I guess I I'm at the point where I would like to see him if he's not going to get regular playing time, and he's not because of the way this is set up letting him go down and just murder it in uh, in the PCL for a while in Colorado would be preferable to what we're seeing. You know, how, how much of this is just we're blaming it on the fact that he isn't playing a lot and how much be. of this is the fact that like exactly the concern last season. Yeah, this this isn't completely. This unexpected. isn't exactly the concern, though. Again, yeah, the plummeting walk rate. Had, the plummeting walk rate yes, is the concern. Is. Well, yeah, but you know what? If he's getting enough hits, then obviously, you know, he's going to get pitched around to a certain point. But if he's just not making contact or hard contact, and pitchers aren't afraid to pitch around him, it's going to be harder to draw walks. So, I mean, is this an issue of we're seeing? Last year, we saw the best case scenario with Santana. This year, we're seeing worst case scenario. Or did the offseason trade talk, did that possibly just kind of contribute to, you know, his psyche, I think, going into I think the season? That because well he was be. he was the guy that everybody was talking about, like, Domingo Santana's going to get traded. He's going to be the key piece that they get rid and of. And he's also the guy who has the least combination of seniority and uh, track record of all the guys in their outfield. He's He was the odd man out. Everybody looked at it like, you know, it's Braun, Yelich, and Kane are the outfield, right? So... He came into camp knowing that there's a very real possibility that he's pressing because of it and that he's been, you know, putting pressure on himself to do that. I don't know that that's the case, but it, it certainly would be plausible that that would be an explanation as well. So. so I think one thing that I would point out is that if his declining walk rate were because he were pressing, I would expect him to be swinging more. I would expect him to be chasing more. I would expect, I would expect those things. And I'm guessing swinging, that's not the case. Swinging the exact, he's swinging 40, 46.9% this year, 46.3% last year. It's his contact. His contact rate has plummeted. And okay, fair enough. And, and his contact rate is actually back to where it was in 2015 when he was with when he was with the the Astros when he was getting traded and his swinging strike rate is up above 15 percent and it's just that he's got 
He's got holes in his swing. And it, it, you had an entire offseason in which there was a, a book written about him. And now that teams know where to pitch him. And I'm not saying that he can't turn it around, but I'm saying that this isn't something in which they're just like playing time issues or he's maybe, maybe that's the case, but there are still core physical issues that we have been talking about for over a year. And that is what we're seeing happening. And it's not just something we can like just wave away and say that it's, you know, something like just everyday playing time is magically going to make it better. Well, it's not necessarily magically going to make it better, but I think that it's worth a try if things continue to go the way they've been going and he's just not getting regular playing time to see if that sparks something, if that gets him turned around in some way. It, it would be sure. worth a try because they can cover, they don't need him there to cover for the playing time issues. They, they have plenty of coverage. They have, you know, essentially six guys for four spots in between the three outfield spots and the uh, and first base. And so they don't need coverage for him. But like, what does turning it around look like? Just the results are a little better. Yes. Or like, and the process okay. is better. He's and he's taking his walks again. That would be nice. Also, stop it with your process is better. No, you're in the major leagues. You got to actually do it. All, both. I said yes, and then I said, and the process is looking better. Both. That's such a cop out answer. You and your cop out answers like that. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it'll be interesting to see what they do with Santana going forward. I, at some point, you'd think, you know, maybe he gets the all-star break, and at that point they need to make a decision on him because it, it's been brutal, and they're going to need better production from him, especially if they have other options. If Thames can go play in the outfield a little bit, if Braun's healthy, um, yeah, I don't, see, I don't really see a spot for him at the moment. And he's not going to have – you don't want to trade low on him. No, I don't think you no. want to trade him. Well, but I also would say that this is this is the reason why, you know, teams didn't want to give up what Brewers fans thought other teams should give up yes. over the offseason. So it's a good thing the Marlins took Lewis Brinson. <laughs> and Monty Harrison. Well, and Isan Diaz. Yeah. I but Brinson, since he was the guy that immediately uh was slotted into I don't know, is his OPS above six hundred yet? I don't think so. I think no, he was he's getting, in he's in rough shape. Him and and Harrison's also been well. Who is it? Dan Lebetard is. They have a uh, campaign going right now to get Lewis Brinson to the All Star game. That's such bullshit. It is. It's like kind of, I don't like. I understand it's trying to make a mockery of the system, but like if you're Lewis Brinson and you get voted to the All Star team as a joke, that's absolute. That's, that would feel like. Shit. That's the thing. It's one thing to make fun of the process of All Star voting, and the Royals fans already did this for everyone. A couple seasons ago, well, and the Cubs did it, and yeah, yeah, you'll have fan bases that do. It. You don't, you don't need to have a concerted effort to basically embarrass a guy because right. it, it'll happen occasionally, anyways. Everybody yes. knows it's a joke. So while I, I understand Lebetard's, uh, uh, I guess the well, purpose behind it. Well, and he's also trying to mock the Marlins generally, which I am all for. That's like. I hate that it's singling out Brinson, but like the Marlins deserve all the scorn that can be heaped on them. If you're going to do that, find an old guy to do sure. it with. Don't sure. do it with some young kid who's trying to break in. Right. Because I don't think Lewis Brinson's going out there like purposely saying, I want to have a bad season. Right. No. Now, and now he's being forced to give interview after interview in which he pleads to Marlin fans to go vote for, for Real Mudo. Yeah. Like, and that's just, that's a crappy thing to do to somebody who's what, 24? Yeah. Yeah. And and again, that's more the reason. And who's struggling? I mean, he's he's got enough to worry about. But again, that's more the reason for it is you put the player in a bad position. Yeah. So that's unfortunate about it. Even if even if you kind of go, yeah, the whole you know fan voting thing's a little bit of a, a joke. But you know, hey, Brewers fans have taken advantage of it. We got Gore, Corey Hart into the All Star game in two thousand eight. Yeah. Yeah. There. Yes. Brewer fans have done some. Yeah. Some voting. <laughs> there, there's Some a little bit of, of a difference box. between Corey Hart making it and Lewis Brinson making Cor it. Corey Hart was still having an all right season at that point yeah. when he got voted in. It was after that in 2008 that he turned God, into a... Yeah, 2008, 2009, he tanked out and then miraculously resurrected himself in uh, May of 2010. Yeah, it was something like that. It was, And then all of a sudden he just... he well. So I remember and then he was specifically... Good for like basically three seasons. Because that was... My sister got married and she got married over in Europe. And so we went over there for a couple weeks 
to for her wedding. And I remember waking up every morning and checking to see what had happened in the Brewers game overnight. And it was like, oh, Corey Hart hit another home run. Oh, Corey Hart hit two more home runs. I'm like, good God, I left. And like people wanted him run out of town. And by the time I came back, it was like Corey Hart was the toast of the town. He, he turned the corner. Yeah, it was, so, it was amazing. Solid humble brag about being in Europe, too. Yeah. <laughs> that was, it was for my sister's wedding. Yeah, she, but you she stayed got for a couple there. weeks, didn't you? Well, we saved for like two years to make that happen. I'm joking. I'm joking. It's fine. I know, but I'm just saying. My sister just went and had a European vac- or, uh, wedding. Yeah. I went to I went to Europe for vacation last summer. And that's the last time I've been, you know. To Europe? To Europe, yeah. Well, really anywhere. Says the guy who went to China in 2008. I didn't bring it up in a podcast, though. So, <laughs> um, Anyways. <laughs> I did. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hey, we got a couple uh, uh, Boone, Logan, and, and bullpen questions. So uh, Jay Google asks, uh, now that the bullpen has faltered, and they use that term loosely, what are the plans going forward, and is Boone, Logan still awful? And then Josh Schultz uh, also mentioned, I have my torch and pitchfork. Please meet me at Boone, Logan's farm. I like that pun. That was good. You like that? That was solid, yeah. That was, that was funny. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the bullpen had a bit of a rough week, but uh, – is Boone Logan kind of a guy that's going to be an odd man out here pretty quick? I know we talked about it briefly last week. I think Jennings has made him fairly expendable. I don't think they want to pull the trigger on that right away. But I think that as the season goes on, he's the kind of guy that if things sort of continue as they have been, that, yeah, you, there, he'll, his time would come in you know July sometime probably where you if they're making a move and there's just no more space for him anymore where you would say, okay, Go someplace else. We'll pay you. I mean, JP, do they need some games where they're just kind of mopping up to get, you know, Lugan, uh, Lugan, Logan, <laughs> Lugan, Logan, the Lugie, Logan, the Lugie. Uh, do they need some mop up games to get him out there, basically to get him back on track after, you know, being injured for, what was it six weeks? He missed a good chunk there to start the year. You know, is it a matter of just getting some innings and getting some uh, positive results? I mean, I would think so. I think one of the more interesting things, and I talked about a couple weeks ago, is that he actually, his stuff has improved. Um, he just can't throw it for strikes at the moment is his biggest issue. But I, my feeling is a couple of things. Number one, every bullpen is always going to have one guy who everyone hates. Um, and it was, it was Oliver Drake for a while. Now it's Boone Logan. It's just, you know, who is struggling at this exact moment who we can, you know, get upset about. Um, when the nice thing is we can all focus on one person because uh, the vast majority of bullpens actually have multiple players who are struggling. Um, so now we can uh, not have to worry about that so much. But the other thing is, who do you replace him with? I mean, like, what's... is. I don't really understand who that would be. I mean, would that be Adrian Hauser or Lopez? Adrian Hauser's up though. Well, I, in the rotation of how this goes, I assume everybody's up right now. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to keep track, but you, yes, you would potentially replace him with, you know, cause who's, who is down at the moment or Hey Lopez. No, Lopez. Lopez is garbage. Lopez, I don't Lopez see it. Just, Lopez. Lopez just got sent down, and Adrian Hauser got brought up this morning. I don't oh, see how low Lopez is even pitchable in the major leagues. Whenever I see him out there, am I the only one that thinks he's completely unpitchable? Mm, yes. Uh, I th- I think he is. I would feel more comfortable with Boone Logan than Jorge Lopez at the moment. I completely agree with that. Hmm. Yeah, I have a soft spot for Jorge Lopez. So. Well, I mean, wanting Lopez, a former top, what, three, four prospect in the system, wanting him to be successful is different than, like, what the actual reality is. Sure. And there's – yeah, that's fine. I mean, if you're if you're talking about that for right now, chances are good when hopefully we see Matt Albers come back off the DL because that's – I don't know how much of that was – uh, he just had a really bad outing, and it's you know time to give. And they him actually a break. did tests on his shoulder. So yeah, I mean, so it is legitimate. This is not a uh, yeah. This is not a show. And they say, JP and, is suggesting actually, you can't cheat. Well, yeah, you, I mean, they can, and they said that Albers actually was the one who reported the fact that his shoulder was hurt. Oh, that's good. I'm 
glad players are honest about that stuff because sometimes they're not. And then well, you end you're up out with, there getting uh, shelled. That doesn't uh, exactly help your case. Well, it, when guys don't report, then you end up with situations like what happened in St. Louis. So Yeah, well, he did that because he didn't want to go on the DL and the minors, yeah, which I fully support that. Like yeah. I fully support wanting to be in the majors and not being screwed by having to be down in the minors for the entire year again. Yeah. People forget that that's, you know, for him, that's a difference of, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, and he was being kept down there for extra long just because of, you know, reasons. <laughs> and I think air quote, I think, reasons. yeah, I think, I think if you find a situation in which Albers comes back, uh, they make a move in July and or Jimmy Nelson comes back and or Wade Miley comes back in which they have to have, you know, some reshuffling of the rotation in the bullpen. I think you could find Boone Logan on the outs, but I would also say there's a decent likelihood that there's another injury because, you know, pitching injuries happen. So I, I, unless there is somebody that you're replacing him with, that is a marked step up. I don't see the point of getting rid of him just because people are frustrated. Okay. But that's sure, that's fair. Player. That's fair. Okay. Uh, we got a, cu- a couple things I want to get to real quick before we wrap this up and do the the segment from the Minor League Podcast. Um, so I want a one-word word answer here for I don't do our those. Patreon question. I, I want I want very or not. Um, ba- basically, okay, here it is. Jason Spitz asks for a Patreon question. What is the likelihood we see Kesson Hira called up in September? So my answering the likelihood then is my one word. Very or not? Not likely. JP? Not. Okay, there we go. So we don't think he's going to get called up, especially if, if VR is still playing well. Like there isn't really a spot for him. Right, yeah, there isn't a, a natural spot for him. And calling him up in September would start the service clock. I hate to be that guy, but that's... You are that guy. That's stupid. Well, I would say that I I know that you wanted a one-word answer, but there is is an argument to say bring up Kessnura in September because you're expecting him to be the starter on opening day in 2019. Or two weeks into the season in 2019. Well, but then you... Why would you... Yeah, I guess. Okay. So it's unlikely at this point. He's probably... He's... It, it, it's almost because he's too good of a prospect at this point. Well, and I think they're also could just say in September, you know, let his elbow rest for an extra month or two. There you go. Yep. Could or, they, could or they potentially bring him, have surgery if he decides to go that route and get it taken care of? Could they bring him up in August so that way he can DH when they get to the playoffs? <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. You like that? Okay, final question. What are the power uh, potential power implications of Eric Thames shaving his beard? And that's from Tim Brown. Hi Tim. Is what do we think? Is he is he Samson with the beard? <laughs> yeah. Because we haven't really seen a full go of Eric Thames playing without the beard. No, we really haven't. He, basically, he showed up to the press conference with it. So, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm I'm deeply concerned. This is troubling. This is this is something I'm going to spend nights. We're on about. board with the beard being very important. Yeah, he needs to grow it back post haste. J- JP, do you have do you have Maybe one of the put sh- a fake one on? Well, until you have, it grows back in. I was going to ask JP, do you have one of the shirts with the beards? Fear the beard. I, I think is what it is. I, I do. I, I know, I, but I now that shirt looks ridiculous. Before it looked totally normal, but now it looks ridiculous. I still have the theme shirtsy though, so I'm okay. good. But I will say. I'm not all that concerned about the implications of his beard because now it's got a very Gorman Thomas look and I still think that's got power in it. Well, didn't he shave all of it though? Like, didn't no, he, do the... he just shaved like right here. Okay. Just as well, he had a couple, he's had a phases. I thought though, cause he kind of he had the really long it. one for a while, he had the long one and then he trimmed it and then he shaved it, but he kept the mustache and sideburns. I think he, yeah, I think he kept the sideburns and the mustache. It's gorgeous. He's got like the. Look. Does he have the Chester A. Arthur look? Now? I've been I've been listening to games lately. I have not been watching them because of you know moving. So I've really seen very little of him. It's mostly just hearing it. So I haven't I haven't gotten a good look. Okay, I will. Say, I I appreciate the Chester Arthur shout. By the way, there you go. I figured I figured that was your historical era, right? I mean, kind of. Yeah, it's some Gilded Age. 
stuff right there. So, um, anyways, okay. So what we're gonna do now? Uh, I'm gonna put in the um, interview that JP did with Nick Flaris of 2080 Baseball. Uh, we'll have a quick discussion. They'll have a quick discussion of a couple of the draft picks, um, and then uh, enjoy that. And like I said, if you want to hear the whole thing, um, definitely subscribe to our Patreon, uh, Patreon.com/slash/MKETailgate. If you subscribe there at the ball and glove level, you can get the whole interview. Which is only five dollars a month. Yes, so it's like a buck an episode. Okay, so uh, yeah, we'll go to that right now. All right, we are very happy to be joined by Nick Falaris, uh, lead draft correspondent, draft analyst from Twenty Eighty. Great, I love that title. Let's go with that. <laughs> from Twenty Eighty Baseball. Um, so first of all, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, of course. Always fun to talk to you. Jay. So over at 2080, you all are covering everything from basically the draft to uh, minor league systems from all 30 teams across the board. Um, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what you all are trying to do at 2080? Sure. So um, 2080, uh, I started 2080 along with Joe Hamrahi, the former president of Baseball Perspectives, back, uh, geez, wow, three years ago now, I think. God, um, has it been that long? Yeah, it's crazy. I, I was just counting it off in my head, I think, two and a half, three years ago. Uh, and the idea here was to create a site that uh, approached covering prospects and the Major League Draft from a player evaluation standpoint. Uh, similar to you know what I worked on with Jason Parks when he was running the prospect team at baseball practice. And uh, it's sort of gone in a couple different directions and is finding its legs now. I think we've got uh, a couple folks that are basically – Scouting full-time for us, going zigzagging across the country. Um, Adam McInturf, uh, John Eshelman, and Steve, Steve Guybars, along with uh, Dave DeFreitas, who summer showcases, the summer uh, collegiate leagues, uh, fall, uh, scout ball in the fall, the high school tournaments in the fall, and then kind of popped around where we could in the spring to see as many of these draft guys as we could. I think we ended up seeing something crazy like 90% of the day one guys or 95% of the day one guys that went in, uh, in the first two rounds. Um, and yeah, the whole, the whole thought behind the site is, you know, getting, uh, looks at guys in person, putting up as much video as we can, putting up as much, uh, sort of in-person evaluation. And then we kind of blend that all with a little bit of analytics and see what comes out on the wash. So lots of fun stuff to, to find at the site there, 2080baseball.com. Great. And do, do our listeners need to have any kind of subscription, anything like that, to be able to take advantage of the content you're putting up? No, all the content is free as of right now. Um, I think uh, the, the general plan is to make sure that there's always free content there. I don't know how long uh, we'll be able to keep everything free if we have people kind of doing this full time for us um but uh so far yeah everything's everything's free our our just by way of example i think our prospect video library just covering this season is up almost 600 videos now um i think reports and spotlights were well over 200 apiece for those so no matter who your team is and what you're looking for if you're looking for a quick uh you know, 200-word summary of a player. If you're looking for a pro-style scouting report, we've got that in our scouting report libraries. And then if you want to take a look at these players uh, and, you know, see what they actually look like, we've got, as I said, I think we're over 600 videos now there on, on the prospect side. So, And we do a similar thing on the draft side as well. Yeah, perfect. I actually spend a lot of time on 2080baseball.com. It's great. It's a great resource to be able to see everybody that you see in the box scores and also see on, you know, all the rankings and everything like that. So I highly recommend it. Um, so turning to the Brewers draft, it was a little bit different because the Brewers haven't necessarily drafted down, you know, they were 21st overall. And so we've been used to seeing the Brewers uh, kind of target guys everybody's aware of, everybody hears about kind of in the top 10 picks, whether it's it's Corey Ray or whomever. You get to kind of get used to what Ray Montgomery wants to do there. But down n at number 21 overall, Bryce Terang is the name that pops up. Um, and the Brewers have been known for, you know, as you as you know, like targeting value and not necessarily targeting any kind of specific um, player profile, I guess, or any kind of specific position. What was, I mean, was Bryce Terang somebody that you heard that the Brewers were on? Was it, because as far as I knew, the 
Brewers were on a lot of different players. They were particularly on kind of players up the middle like you would expect, but they were on a lot of different guys, and it seemed like they were going to kind of take whoever fell. Uh, but what was your feel for what uh, kind of drew the Brewers to Bryce Terang and, and your feelings on the player more generally? So I, I agree with 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 your take. Um, the Brewers were primarily on, well, first and foremost, drafting at, uh, 21st overall. They had to cast kind of a wide net because they're not sure exactly who's going to fall to them. But the the names that I heard, including from people with the Brewers, were all you know high upside names. It was you know the Kyler Murrays, the Bryce Trangs, um, Jordan Adams, uh, the the North Carolina high schooler that went to the Angels, I think 17th overall. Um, some arms as well, but uh, yeah, I mean the Brewers. It sounds it sounds to me. Uh, from my conversation, they were really targeting upside, and I think the way the draft unfolded, you know, it, it was it's not it was a, it ended up being sort of a combination of upside when it was available, and then value, like oh, who are the guys that maybe are dropping farther than they should, or that we could kind of you know, a lot of tickets too strong of a word. I don't think that these risks are that large, but you know, maybe like a a twenty percent scratch off or something like that. <laughs> they were they think you know, hey, we shouldn't be able to get this guy yet in the sixth round. Let's Let's take a flyer on them, and, and we might have a kind of an everyday dude. Yeah, so I mean, I I know that the kind of the take that immediately hit Twitter, at least when Bryce Trang was taken, was I mean, maybe prospect fatigue is not necessarily the the right term to be able to use there, but it seemed like. Terang was somebody who was obviously in conversation of, you know, top five, at least 12 months ago. And, and he wasn't necessarily performing as well as he did, especially when he was a freshman, but you know, as it kept on going, um, was this something in which, you know, he peaked at the wrong time? Is this something that his struggles as a senior are, are a little bit more worrisome or is this just a situation in which a guy, you know, if he would have actually, if he would have flipped it, and and he would have been peaking at the exact right time. He would have been a top ten guy. Yeah, I, I would I would characterize it slightly differently. I, I wouldn't consider what he did as being um, like necessarily a downspring. But I think when you have a developmental trajectory where someone is showing so much potential so early as an amateur, when they start to plateau or if they're not kind of continuing to develop at that same rate, then scouts start to think like, oh, well, I thought you know, based on what we saw when he was 16 and what we saw when he was 17, that he would look a little bit different at 18. The the concerns on Terang are, you know, well-known as far as folks who have seen him and folks who have seen a lot of him. Um, it's just, it's it's purely ability to impact the baseball. I mean, it, he doesn't strike out a lot. He and Gorman had, uh, they were both at, at uh, USA Baseball's National High School Invitational. And, and Gorman, you know, was swinging through, 85 mile an hour pitches, similar to what you know, Mikey Get- Michael uh, Gettys ran into two, three years ago. That's a, a Padres prospect that was also a first rounder and ended up dropping a little bit. Um, Terrain didn't have those problems. He's he's making contact. He's using the whole field, but not really driving the ball. You know, kind of more of a slash approach, slap and slash approach. And the question evaluators have is just like, how much impact is this guy going to be able to have on the baseball? He's got a, he's going to have a pro body. He's a good, big, athletically built dude. He's an excellent shortstop, excellent defensive shortstop. No question he stays up the middle there. And I had a conversation with a, a front a front office guy, um, I guess it was two weeks before the draft, and his name came up. And and I said this then, and I, I maintain it now. You know, It honestly wouldn't surprise me if at the end of the day, Terang ends up being the best position player in the entire draft class because he has that type of athleticism and skill set. It, it's wholly a question of, Will he be, uh, be able to develop the ability to drive the ball? And he flashed that a little bit this spring. It just wasn't consistent. He wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, he's a high school kid that wasn't hitting home runs. He wasn't really driving the ball to the gaps. And there's a limit to how much team, a lot of teams are willing to invest if they're if they're not seeing some sort of manifestation of that. Well, and I think one of the things that really – I think about this a lot when I, when I think about, like, high school prospects and it thinking about them in an international context. And – you and and I know it's different because you know he's 18 and a lot of these kids are are 15 16 years old when you know they're at least being talked about 16 when they're signing um but the kind of profile that Terang has in terms of the supreme athleticism being able to stick at shortstop the ability to con- consistently put the bat on the ball um 
if if he is sixteen, if he's a sixteen year old from Venezuela or the Dominican Republic or you know Australia or wherever, um, is this conversation different than somebody who people and evaluators have been able to put eyes on for so long? Because it seems that whether or not like the the bar that he needs to hit for like the ability to hit for extra bases or be able to impact the baseball like you're talking about with the rest of his profile doesn't necessarily seem to be as heavy as it would be if he had to move off a shortstop obviously yeah i think i think that that's certainly right um but uh, the uh the ultimate question still because and and so again i guess worth pointing out this isn't a guy that fell to the fourth round well yeah absolutely he's still got time for what three million bucks yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, this is a significant seven-figure uh, investment, and yeah. um, candidly, you're not going to find, regardless of how good a defender they are. Well, I shouldn't say that. Um, I think he did very. He's going to do very well if he ends up with a you know three to three three and a half million dollar signing bonus compared to if you were to go to the Dominican Republic and find a very good defensive shortstop who wasn't showing necessarily tons of offensive um, impact. You, they're, you're not going to find a team likely to invest that kind of money into that player. Because yeah, that's fair. Work. So, but if he, as, as a 16-year-old, I, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. I think if you, if, if Terrain, uh were to be draft eligible or not draft eligible, but able to be signed at the same age where you know his international counterpart is signed and showed the same skill set, maybe as one of the top you know international uh, prospects available. Yeah. So, well, so I guess going a little bit to the to the second round, it, it seems that, um, as you said, they're still they're, the Brewers are still targeting uh, you know high upside guys, but somebody like Joe Gray kind of has the exact opposite question mark that somebody than than Bryce Terang has, right? I mean, like the question isn't about whether or not Joe Gray can eventually hit for power; it's how much can he actually. Like how how big are the holes in his swing? How much is his hit tool going to be able to allow him to access that power? Um, and it seems to say, depending on you know the the scouting report that you read, that he actually did perform pretty well at some some showcases in the spring. Um, but what are your feelings about uh, uh, Gray going forward? Is is it the, still the same kind of value play where they didn't necessarily think he was going to be available um, when they were taking him at 60th overall? What are you What are you feeling there? Um, so it's interesting because Gray uh, he got a little bit less notoriety for um, as far as like the more casual draft and Terang was kind of the name that if, at this time last year if you read the way too early mock draft of whatever website Terang was <laughs> the guy that was listed on there. If you went back two two uh, years ago and you asked scouts like, hey, have you seen anyone from the twenty eighteen class yet? Joe Gray is the name that you would have heard kind of in a similar vein to, to Bryce Terang, that this was a dude that was already a big physical kid, broad kid, and you're just kind of drooling looking at what this guy's going to look like when he's fully matured and filled in. Um, and he had the same type of issues that Terang had in that evaluators didn't see sort of the, the big steps forward developmentally with the ba- with some of the, the baseball skill set. Um, I saw him, I sat on him for four games in, at the end of March at, at NHSI, and he kind of won me back over. There's still, as you pointed out, you know, there's some holes in the swing. There's some inconsistencies in his approach and identifying spin and some of that stuff. But even then, I think, you know, it's weird to use stats like this on such a small sample size. But I think he OPS something like 1,100 for the tournament. His, his on-base percentage was like 600 or whatever. And this is, a you know, a good tur- a tournament where Nolan Gorman struggled and, you know, Alec Thomas, who went in the second round, he struggled uh, at times in the tournament. So, uh, he was a really impressive player um, at the at the plate. Drove the ball well. Obviously, tons of thunder in his wrist. Real strong kid. Lot, good bat speed. Um, I think what, where we see uh, um, what's really interesting about these first two picks is there's a lot of foundational value in the profile. And by that, what I mean is like just if you take the player right now and what sort of the core elements of of what makes up that player's profile, you've got for both for both for both, for both these guys up the middle defenders that are definitely going to stick there. Um, both of them are going to be net positive on the bases. Both run well, but both of them are also just very adept at reading the play in front of them, and they're, they're going to be net positive contributors there. So you have 
players who on defense and at a minimum defensively and on the bases are going to be contributing positively and, and going to be able to develop to a point where they're going to be major league caliber. And both of them have already shown the ability to, whether it's bat to ball ability with Terang or power um, with, with Gray, both of them have shown that they have the potential to be major league contributors on the, on the offensive side as well. So um, they're maybe not checking off all the boxes right when they need to, to get to break into that, like, top 10 overall pick and get the $4 million bonus. But both of them really have a, a you know, huge amount of upside, but, but maybe not as much um, risk as is sometimes portrayed because as you, I think accurately pointed out earlier, that offensive bar gets a lot lower when you're an up the middle defensive player. And when you're a good up the middle defensive player, it gets even lower. Right. Yeah. And, and Gray might have, you know, the best outfield arm in the, in the draft class, they, at, you know, out in center field. So, um, there, there's a lot to like about these two guys, even with some of the, uh, some of the question marks. I thought that these were really fun kind of upside picks for the Brewers. Okay, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash mketailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast, which, Ryan, like you said, went, what, about an hour and a half this last time? All draft talk and some some other stuff? Yeah, more Minor League talk after the Flaris interview. The, the draft talk was pretty much confined to the Flaris interview. So if you want draft talk, that's kind of early middle and then other stuff later so jp but it was good i was yeah. yeah i mean we got somebody actually intelligent to come on and talk about the draft so i would recommend it so yeah check that out um and also as always you can follow us on twitter at mke tailgate you can submit questions to milwaukee's tailgate dot gmail dot milwaukee's dot tailgate what's our email address milwaukee's that nobody dot tailgate that nobody uses gmail.com. yeah milwaukee's dot tailgate at gmail.com um if you want to send your long questions that's the way to do it because obviously you're capped on twitter so or you do it through patreon you could if you're subscribed you can do it through patreon and we definitely see all the patreon questions that come through yep the the gmail questions i'll see them but they're not quite as pumped up as the patreon ones Yes, you get a little extra extra air on that one. So, uh, or we have Facebook, which you can do, but you know we never do a good job of checking that stuff gets posted on there. Facebook's terrible, so just it leave is. it there. But if you want, you can do it there. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts, you can find us. Um, you can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So, thanks for listening and join us again next week. Yeah, we'll, yes, next we'll week. be back next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Yeah.